You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I am, of course, your host, disability awareness consultant, and your favorite dis- dis- disabled dabled. Oh, I like that, disabled dabled. I'm your host, disabled Andrew Grizza. Hello, let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this show started, everybody. If you're new to the show and you're listening to the very first time, because I know there are some people out there who are just listening to my dulcet, my dulcet disability tones right now, welcome, hello, nice to meet you. I want you to know that the first 100 or so episodes, 150, possibly more, we, we focused primarily on sex and disability, but now the show has expanded to shine a bright light on disability stories. The show used to be called... Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex, disability, and everything in between. But I decided a long time, a while ago now, that I wanted to to broaden my approach and talk about 
everything under the sun around disability because there are so many different stories. People have said to me, why don't you just focus on sex? And I'm like, there's so much more nuance within the disability community, and I want to focus on that a little bit too. So if you if you are listening, um, you know, backwards or however you're listening and you like, you stumble on the older episodes and heard the format change. That's because I made a, a, a conscious effort to open the stories up and open the narrative and open the things I was talking about without needing to start a whole new podcast platform. I just wanted to share my my thoughts on different things. and I wanted it to be as open-ended as possible because I found just focusing on sex was really hard to do in a weekly podcast format every single week I was scrambling for ideas and because I've opened it up I'm allowed to do a lot a lot of cool different things on this platform and so that's where we are but if you're a longtime listener you already know this and thank you for sticking around okay there's one thing that I have to gripe a little bit about before we get into like the show and this 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 episode today is jam-packed so buckle in we're gonna be here together a while for some really great Create Crypt content, friends. It's going to be great. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to say I've been trying for the past couple years to get some to get some transcription service for the podcast. But I downloaded one, and who I will not name because I don't want to. I don't want to shame anybody. But I downloaded one the other day to try again to get transcriptions because everybody is asking me for transcriptions, and I get called out. By the community all the time for not being, quote, accessible enough for not having transcriptions. Um, and so I tried again the other day to get transcriptions for the show because I was like, fuck it. I want to make this accessible. I was recently featured in Forbes magazine and I was the only podcaster that didn't have transcripts. And I felt like, oh, that feels that feels weird. I was though and I was like, I want to fix this. But then I tried to do it with one of those automated transcription services that you pay like monthly for. And so I logged back into my account because I have one. And I remembered that even with the automated transcription thing, with the editing that I have to do and my level of um, the way that I talk makes it really hard for the transcription service to pick up everything that I'm saying accurately. So it would have taken me hours to edit episodes to do the transcription properly. Now, I'm still down to do transcriptions. I just need to find a way to make that possible for, um, to, to do it because I don't have a team of people here. There's not a production team behind me doing this. I'm literally sitting in my house doing this on my own and I don't have, I don't have the funds even with the Patreon. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Even with all of that, I don't have the funds to really pay somebody consistently to do transcribing for me. So I hear you when you say you want transcriptions, but please also think about the accessibility that, or the inaccessibility of these services that are often there when we look at editing and the, in the, the time constraints on one disabled person trying to run a show and run a program and also be, you know, and, and do the things I do in my life as a disabled person. So I do want to do it. I'm dedicated to finding a way. It's just taking me longer, way longer than I have wanted it to. That's no excuse. I'm just laying out the reality of my disability and trying to make these transcriptions possible. Um, 
If anybody has any ideas, do let me know. Okay, just before we dive right in, I want to give a Patreon shout-out to one of you lovely folks who keeps a bright light shining on this program and these stories. And for today's shout-out, I want to give a shout-out to Trina Powers, who pledged $50 for the year, because now with Patreon you can pledge a yearly amount if that works for your budget. So Trina pledged $50 a year, and that's amazing. So Trina Powers... Your pledge made me hit the showers because it was so hot. Thank you so much for your pledge. And for your pledge, you get now the the episodes one day early on our very, very cool Patreon account. So you get the show one day early and that sexy shout-out that I just gave you. Trina Powers, your pledge made me hit the showers. Thank you so much for your pledge and for shining a bright light on stories like this. If you want to pledge to the show, of course, as per usual, patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. As little as $1 a month, or as much as $5 a month, or more, or a yearly amount, if you're able to. And I really appreciate it, so thank you. But now, for real this time, enough of my rambling, on to the show. Lately on the show, I've been really enjoying sitting down and doing interviews with people that I can just talk and share share some conversation with, share some disability experiences with, and just have a, a chat about a whole bunch of different stuff. And that's what I did on this episode today. I sat down with with blogger and disabled social worker and my new friend, Kathleen Downs, as, as we kind of compare and contrast and share our experiences living that CP life, talking about things like the, the disability benefit system in the U.S., uh, we talk about things like, you know, needing the needing help to go to the bathroom and and all of the fun things that are in our that are part of needing help to go pee. We talk about intra community fighting and discussions and disagreements within the disability community. We talk about um, non disabled and disabled ways to work together. There's so much that we unpack here. We talk about health policy. We talk about a lot of things, but I loved sitting down with Kathleen. I just re-listened to the episode before doing this intro, and she has such a such a measured way of thinking, and I was really, you know when you just talk to somebody and you just vibe with them, and you're like, oh, this is one of my people. Um, She's one of she was one of my people right away. As soon as we started talking, I was like, I could listen to her speak to me all the time. That's why this episode is so jam packed and so full of stuff. But we talk about a lot of things here around CP life and all the things that I just mentioned. Uh, it was a really really great chat. She's funny. She's smart. She's articulate. Um, and she has a lot of things to say. And I think it's important that we shine a bright light on her story, too, and her thoughts on being disabled. And that's what I love about this show, is that we get to shine a bright light on a lot of people's thoughts about disability. And I think that I'm just really proud of that, and I'm proud for you to hear now my interview with Kathleen Downs, right here on a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. Kathleen Downs, hello! Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to have you on Disability After Dark. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. I'm glad to be here too. I'm a big fan of your work and I'm glad that we uh, finally worked out a time to sit down together. 
well. Yeah. Uh, we're we're always sitting, but you get my point. <laughs> <laughs> so you're that's very true. Since I got that new scheduler where it can be, people can book their own times, it's made my life so much easier because I don't have to do anything. I just look at my calendar and go, oh, I got to record today. I guess I recorded like that. So it makes it so much easier for me. So we've been trying to do this, as with most of my guests, we've been trying to have you on for a while now. So I'm really glad that you're finally here. I get it. Scheduling is crazy, especially when you have a disability. Um, oh, yeah. Scheduling is scheduling is a bitch. Uh, I mean, our entire lives are basically scheduling, uh, but that doesn't make it any easier. <laughs> No, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so can you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, so like I said before, my name is Kathleen Downs. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Um, I live in a suburb of New York City. So I live about 12 miles outside of New York City. But with traffic, it can take anywhere between 30 minutes and a couple hours to get there because New York wow. is fun. So yeah. um, I am a social worker by training. Um, I currently uh, have a part-time job where I design disability-related programming for families of kids with disabilities through a nonprofit that does adapted dance classes and I also am kind of a a um what what you might call um a self-made uh Medicaid expert of sorts I like to research health policy and uh the benefit system partially out of necessity uh because it's unfortunately very necessary to uh, understand the weeds of these programs but also I enjoy um helping people figure it out because I think we all know it's really hard uh to get quality information wherever you are in the world um I know that the benefit scheme is a bit different where you are in Canada but I think, um, but not by anywhere. much, but not, but not like super, not a lot really. I mean, it's yes, it's set up differently, but not, it's the idea is the same. The idea is let's keep the disabled people in poverty at the end. Right. <laughs> so, uh, that being said, I don't, um, I don't work, um, as much as I would like to at this time, in part because the benefit system is so complicated and at least here in America um, all home services are linked with Medicaid unfortunately Um, and you know once you pretty much make over a dime they push you off Medicaid so it's very complicated to sort of uh, straddle the worlds of trying to um, do the work you would like to be doing and keeping the health benefits that enable you to do that work. Um, I think it's pretty, I think it's so, and I've spoken to other Americans with disabilities on the show about this very system and how fucked it is. And it's extremely fucked. It makes me really upset that 
for you to receive quality care, you have to submit to the fact that you can't work. And that's just not right. That's just not, I'm not okay with that. Right. It's, it's complicated because some states have what you would call a Medicaid buy-in program. So you, if you're working disabled, you can pay a, um, a premium to keep Medicaid and do a certain amount of work, but there's still a ton of rules and it's very bureaucratic. And the unfortunate thing about Medicaid buy-in is that um, if you uh, lose the job or need to switch jobs or something, you then have to revert back to the rules for regular Medicaid, which are totally, totally different. Um, uh. So you would essentially have to go backwards and get rid of anything extra you may have saved until you are able to uh, find a new job. And for uh, disabled people who are not able to work a um, full schedule, um, a lot of employers um, won't give you private insurance unless you're working a full schedule. And um, a lot of people, once they reach a certain level of medical complexity, need the private insurance in addition to the Medicaid. So they've created this sort of, you know, no man's land for people who would like to work a little bit more, but maybe can't do the full 40 hours. And then it's like, um, maybe your needs are too complex for just Medicaid or Maybe it's, you know, too risky to go off regular Medicaid onto Medicaid buy-in right now. So we have a lot of um, huge policy holes that um, they make me very sad. It's definitely one of, I think, the most difficult parts of being disabled in the United States. Um, however, on my, on my good days, I try to pour my energy into... Uh, research researching it as much as I can to try to um, you know help people understand it as much as possible and hopefully um, move towards something better in the future I'm more hopeful well here's that what would be better let's just get rid of Medicaid and Medicare and all those systems and let's do what should be done everywhere which is healthcare should be free period the end like that's yeah, it. no, I I totally agree with you. I'm feeling more hopeful for um, some positive change than I have in the last four years because a a Can't certain blame you someone, Trump, a certain Trump someone is, is finally <laughs> a certain someone is finally out of office. Um, but I mean, even with evil Cheeto out of the way, we still have <laughs> a lot of. Um, we still have a lot of people that are actively working against the interest of disabled citizens while simultaneously claiming to care about the most vulnerable quote quote. So yeah, I mean, look um, at the, the look at the worldwide yeah, pandemic it, we're in. Like this should that should tell us enough. Yes, definitely. It's been a really um, it's been a really particularly interesting and sometimes jarring time to be disabled because, you know, people in power are talking out of both sides of their mouths. They're most concerned about the most vulnerable, but then, um, you know, a couple of newspaper pages later, you see people getting their 
care rationed and people very casually saying things like, well, it's only going to affect the elderly and the sick and the disabled as if it doesn't matter if we all die. Um, I think that that sort of attitude is, you know, popping up across the globe, but I think it's particularly prevalent here in the U.S. because we have sort of this sickly individualistic culture. Um, yeah. In every man for himself, it is clearly has not worked out great, especially in a pandemic. Um, so that's the sort of stuff I like to do. Otherwise, um, I have a blog called um, The Squeaky Wheelchair, where I write about disability issues. I write very intermittently, kind of whenever uh, the spirit moves me, so to speak. I don't have a super strict writing schedule like some people do, because I'm not one of those people who can write on demand. But basically, whenever a good idea strikes me, and I like to, you know, wait or something kind of unique to write about. I don't necessarily like jumping on, you know, the latest hot take that already has like, you know, 50 different similar articles. Um, Are you calling me out? Are you saying that my... (laughs) No, no, no. I, I, you're actually one of, you're actually one of my favorite pages to follow on disability issues because I feel like you're one of the pages out there that doesn't just regurgitate what's already been said a bazillion times um and oh well thank you so much i, I really um, appreciate i really um appreciate your your honesty about the good parts and the not so good parts about being disabled because i think you know we all kind of face this pressure to be like you know, happy and proud about disability all the time. And a lot of times disability really is a a positive, beautiful experience, but there's a ton of other equally valid things that can be really awful. And I think that the community does itself a disservice when we don't allow people to talk about those things too. Yeah. And I mean, I, I have faced, first of all, thank you for loving my page. I, I never know if it's going to reach anybody or if anybody really cares. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Also, you know, I feel like I'm often fighting with the community when I'm like, why can't we all just come together? Why can't we all just support each other? And no matter what it is we think, even if it's not the same, can we not like, why do we have to bash each other? Like, right. no, I, I, I feel I feel the same way. There's a lot of like intra-community bashing yeah and I think you're right I think a lot of that does come from you know the trauma of being in a marginalized group and I think that you know the pressure to be positive and disability proud all the time comes from we're afraid if we say anything sad or negative that people will just jump to a hasty conclusion that our whole lives are negative and miserable and that's not true either. Um, so I wish that 
people could see our lives for what they are, which is um, nuanced like everybody else's life. But it seems like society is somewhat allergic to nuance. So I think... Yeah, um, I I really agree with you there. I really, really agree with that point. I also think, you know, one of the things that I've been tackling in my work is saying to disabled people like able-bodied people are not all horrible they're not out to get they're not not necessarily out to get us they just need some education and so like for instance the other day i yesterday i I put on my instagram that i was like you know don't super love it when people when disabled people call non-disabled people able that i got so much yeah you know I actually agree with you on that one. It's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way when people do that because, like, I get it. We're in a marginalized group, which can be repeatedly traumatic over and over again. And I get it that people need tools to sort of take back their own power. But I don't really think that we're doing ourselves a service by like super generalizing in a way that we don't want others to generalize us yeah yes thank you for saying the thing i've been feeling for such a long time like i feel like we're just i feel like we're just kind of like like um sometimes vomiting back on non-disabled people the things we don't want them to do to us Um, yeah and I but we're think, doing it to them. We're doing it to them. Like the, the, there's no need for it. And the way it's done is like I've seen it. And I see it all the time. Like, ooh, I'm being edgy. I'm being cool. It's like, no, you're just being mean. And if someone's right. trying to like, and and like, I get it. Non-disabled people are frustrating sometimes. And, yes, a hundred percent. I agree with you. And I also get it that it's not our responsibility or our obligation all the time to educate them on some level they need to do their own work. However, I think you've said this before and I agree with the way you phrased this. It's not an obligation, but it's an opportunity and we don't have to we don't have to take the opportunity 24/7. Yeah, but, of course not. But I think that it's I think that it it's helpful to them when we do and I also think it can be healing for me too to yeah. take the opportunity um because okay, so we're best friends because <laughs> I think sometimes like okay I don't have to educate someone every day sometimes I just don't feel like it and I'm too tired but other days I like to think like I might not be able to change the entire world while I'm here, but if I can get like one person to think a little bit differently and then take those ideas out somewhere else, then maybe I've done what I've always wanted to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I was saying, as you were speaking, I was saying, okay, we're best friends. Why do, Why can't we be the best? Like, <laughs> It's just so nice well, to sit. You'll have to come to New York when the Rona times are calming down. If I would love happened. to. I I'm, was just there. I was there about a year before the Rona happened. And I, we went for an award show because apparently I'm famous. And so we went to Manhattan and it was the most hectic 
crazy, ridiculous day of my it's, life, but I loved it so much. It's not a super accessible city. Um, however, um, call, call me some kind of masochist. I love New York City anyway, even though it's like full of accessibility fails. Um, oh, yeah. Prob- probably because I grew up here, like, I. Uh, there's a part of me that will always love New York City, even though they make it really damn hard for you to get around. Um, and, and even though it smells like garbage for a good six months of the year, <laughs> something a little bit charming about it. Um, I'll be honest, most of my interaction with New York City is to go to um, Docker. So my acquaintance with the city is with usually with a very specific section but um i one thing i love about manhattan and always will is there's just so many different kinds of people that it's like one of those places in the world where people generally don't even blink if they see someone in a wheelchair um yeah and your odds of seeing another person in a wheelchair are very high and my mother and I have a joke but it's not really a joke that we all know each other so like if we see someone from afar that's also in a power chair my mom will give me this look and be like do we know them and if we don't why not and and when they (laughs) when they come closer if I don't know them uh, my mom will be like should we give them the nod and I'm like oh "Oh, yeah the nod oh yeah, yeah we should like the nod is totally a thing it's like even if you're complete strangers you feel the need to give them this like sort of knowing crip nod like i see you i get you i see you i know your struggle and also let's be friends um i also i feel the same way with with other marginalized communities like it's funny i'll be walking down the street sometimes i'll see a person of color and they'll see me and we'll do this like Oh, yeah, we've been through some stuff. I get you. Like, hey, and you just got to keep going. And, like, I was on the, the boardwalk a few weeks back, and I saw this guy who clearly had some type of physical disability on a hand cycle also on the boardwalk. And I was surprised because he looked about my age, and I had never seen him before from a doctor's office or camp or anywhere. So my mom and I were half kidding, half not. Like, who is this guy? And has he been living under a rock? And why don't we know him? And then we just totally gave each other the nod. And and my mom was like, I saw you guys exchange the nod. <laughs> I was like, of course, we have to. It's a thing. And then it's like a standard you know, trip thing. There's a part of you that wants to like sneak a picture and send it to all your other wheelie friends and be like, do we know this person? Does he even go here? <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I, yeah. I think um, that's something that's really fun about the disability community is that a lot of us do know each other from various places or have a ton of mutual friends. That can also be a thing that's not super fun because, you know, sometimes it leads to us all having very preconceived ideas about each other. And... Uh, or you know 
maybe maybe we've all dated each other's friends or know each other's exes or <laughs> you know things like that when the world is a bit too small but yeah all in all I think it's really fun that a lot of us know each other and have gotten to um grow, grow up together and be used to seeing other people um like us with with disabilities whether it's the same type of disability or different type of disability and um my uh my best friend and I we both have CP and we call other people with CP seeps and we've we've decided that there needs to be some kind of uh you know in international event where we all get together called the Seeper Bowl and we can I mean all... I'm, I'm so there for it yes please please <laughs> and we can all just sit around and eat the food of our people which is takeout <laughs> pretty much you're, you're not wrong about that <laughs> the food of any wheelchair user is takeout yes because I I highly respect applaud and venerate other people with cp who have learned how to cook but i just have not gotten there <laughs> and um i'm with, I'm st- with my level of spasm and my level of like throwing things on the floor when i get scared cooking is a dangerous journey for me i'll never be I able to do gonna, it i was gonna say i'm a quad and i have a really bad startle reflex so by the time i got everything set up to attempt this cooking thing probably several hours would have passed (laughs) um and things would be all over the floor so for right now I can like kind of sort of cook bagel bites and you know maybe that's okay because the main thing I like to do is eat not cook so (laughs) You have, we have talked so much. We haven't even really gotten to the first question. You, you've, you've kind of, you've kind of alluded to it though. You said you have CP um, and I kind of knew that from just kind of knowing a little bit about you already, but if you right, could Right, we can give us, each other the nod through the screen because yeah, yeah, we we'll already, see. it's like, if you know, you know. You can't see it, but we're giving each other the like, yep, I see you. You got CP nod. Well, um, all you have to do is look at my hands, and that's your tip off. Oh yeah, you 100% have CP hands, 100%. Um, um, but if you could share with us how your CP impacts your day to day, and yeah, just tell me more about how CP sure. impacts you. Um, so I mentioned I'm a, uh, I have quad CP, so that means that. Um, it affects all four of my limbs pretty evenly. I, I would argue that my legs are a bit more affected, um, cause I have some use of my hands, but, uh, more or less quad CP is the golden package in that all, all four of my limbs are very, um, invested in the experience, shall we say, um. I can use a walker a little bit purely for exercise and by exercise oh, jealous. I mean, by exercise I mean like a like 300 foot struggle across my living room in like a 
a giant purple walker with arm platforms that looks like a tractor. But um, amazing! It, I'm, I'm where good. where is the picture of this? What? I'm glad that I have the option to do that. It's good to change position every now and again and, you know, get off of my butt. Um, but most of the time I am in um, a, a power wheelchair and um, I'm pretty dependent on others for most activities of daily living. So I have um, a personal care assistant um the the pca system here in the u.s is very stingy so i have a pretty limited number of hours even though there's really not much i can do on my own so um when my pca is not here um either my mom or my dad is here i I live um, with my parents still, and a big part of the reason for that is the uh, home care system is just so freaking stingy uh, in the U.S. Like, you can basically fill out a form like, yeah, I can basically do nothing physical on my own, and they'll be like, great, here's four hours a day, good luck to you. So um, I hope that at some point I may be able to move into a more independent setting. But for right now, um, you know, I'm, I'm at home and I'm okay with that for right now. And that brings me to another tip I have with the disability community is I think sometimes we're like hard on each other and judgy about, you know, people who still live at home. And it's like, it's complicated, man. So yeah. Um, un, you know, un, unless that person is willing to provide, a, you know, 24-hour care and an affordable place to live and an accessible job, I really don't think anyone else has the right to be judging if someone has been able to move out yet. Um, I think that, um, you know, a sort of less than positive feature of the independent living movement here in the U.S. is, I think, you know, we've been deceived into believing that there's sort of one-size-fits-all idea of an independent life. Um, yep. And, you know, a lot of times that archetype is someone who can live totally on their own, work a full schedule, and has either no PCA or very minimal PCA support, where that's just not um the reality, the reality for, so many of us. for so many of us whether that's for um a lot of times that has to do with policy failure too it's not um it's not that i would be incapable of living elsewhere it's just that a system is kind of um patchwork and I think that's one of the scariest parts about having a disability is, you know, the, the future is just so unclear, no matter how educated you are and how hard you try to plan for it, because you sort of feel like you're always navigating the system that's, you know, just looking for the opportunity to throw you away. So, yeah. 
um it's it's tough but I'm very fortunate that I have really good parents and I have a really accessible home and my uh current PCA is really good um I would like to have more than one PCA but you know hiring new people in the midst of the pandemic has been tough especially because I don't want anyone in my house that's not vaccinated um but my current PCA is um most likely moving to a new job soon so I'm gonna have to start the hunt to fill those shifts and I'm kind of preemptively exhausted but um I'm sure that uh you can relate to that or something similar that oh yeah um, care care is first of all as we all know care is exhausting care is tiring and then care it's a job it's a job it's a whole job by itself that you're not getting paid for that you have to do so i get 100 i 100 get it also i love that you talk about how these systems these policies that give you four hours a day and way less care than you need are designed by humans who are not disabled right and they very they very subtly they more or less know that you actually need 24-hour care they just bank on the fact that somebody will help you unpaid and they sort of bank on this idea that maybe you always will or always will want to live with your parents and they don't seem to build in any allowance for the fact that like people's parents are getting older um, and that maybe they won't be able to do what they're doing and I also really feel like this country um, exploits unpaid caregivers in that um, they know that they're going to look out for their loved ones. So instead of investing the money to get more um, you know, care hours for people who are looking to be more independent, they just say, like, okay, well, you know, their mothers will do it for free for the other, um, you know, 20, 20 hours, hours of the day. Um, and the thing is, I'm very lucky that mine will and she can right now but that's not something that lasts forever and also the government shouldn't assume that all these parents and family members are just you know willing and able at all times to save them money by performing uh these caregiving tasks or free and it's and also um, like what the government fails to recognize too is that and i'm sure you know this i'm sure your mom and dad can attest to this too there's an emotional toll that comes when you have to work with your family all the time and for basic care stuff like i'm also very privileged and then i get to be in my own apartment with with caregivers that are here when i need them but like when i go on vacation when i go on like talks or work stuff i take my mom with me as my caregiver and after three days as much as we love each other, we're both like, okay, we need, we both of us need a break. Right. Um, it's not a question of loving or not loving your family. You can love your family a whole bunch and still want some independence and 
faith from them and yeah um I mean I I love my parents to bits and we're very fortunate that we get along super well and I I think if we weren't related and we were to you know meet each other in regular life we'd probably still like each other and be friends but that said um I think that it's normal for an adult to want some space from their parents and I don't think the government and even some disability organizations um, recognize that it just hasn't occurred to them that maybe we want other options besides living in our parents' homes and being cared for by our aging parents. And I think there's just a real failure to recognize that we have many of the same um, you know, desires and and goals and ideas that other people do. And I think it's important to emphasize here that um, you know, not everything has to be the same as that of a non-disabled person. I'm, I'm of the opinion that there's very um, unique things about being disabled that I am grateful for and I think have given me a better quality of life, but by the same token, of course, we have overlap with the non-disabled in things that we're looking to do with our lives, and there's just not a lot of recognition of that. Like, I once had a quote-unquote special needs planner um, ask me what I could possibly want more than the amount of my SSI check for. Now, to give you an idea, um, someone who you know, lives at home, the, the SSI check is usually about $500 to $600 a month. And I was just kind of flabbergasted that this person who supposedly has a background in disability could act surprised that just because they are disabled, a, a person wouldn't have a need or a desire to have more than $600 a month. Yeah, it says, it, like, when you put it that way, it's so simple. Like, the average person living out there in the world today, living especially where you, close to where you live, can you imagine if you said to the average New Yorker, hey, um, can you live on $600 a month? or probably less than that, um, try for a week, and a month. I don't know if you've been following at all in the U.S., the whole stimulus check um, thing. Yeah. When the debates were going on about the stimulus checks, you know, non, non-disabled people were all up in arms like, oh, $1,400 isn't enough to live on in a month. How do you, how do you survive on something like that? But all the disabled people were, you know, over here wa- waving their hands like a, a Sims computer game character, <laughs> like, yoo-hoo, hi, hello, that's almost double what we get in a month. So for us, it seems like a holiday. Meanwhile, everybody else is like, this isn't enough to live in- on. So they acknowledge without acknowledging that we pay disabled people far less than that and expect them to 
live on it. And I yeah. hope that the um, stimulus check conversation can maybe reopen a larger conversation about how is it that we're still expecting chronically ill and disabled people to um, live on these tiny little checks. And as we said before, I have privilege in that I have family that will help me and take care of me when I need it. So but it doesn't mean you want it. Doesn't mean you wouldn't want to be like so they are able to, you know, buy me extra things that I might need. However, I would still like more financial independence. And there's the very real fact that, you know, there are people out there that literally don't have anyone else who can help them besides that 600 or $700 check. And it's not enough to pay rent um never mind everything else that you might need but um for many disabled people these ssi checks is what ties them to the medicaid so we're kind of stuck in this like um you know 1930s kind of thing like four fourteen hundred dollar stimulus check doesn't seem like a whole lot to a non-disabled person, but for people who are disabled and have never really had the flexibility to save much money, that sounds like a real lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I have the privilege of, of doing what I do and, and, you know, being a speaker and working on the podcast and making like a little bit of money that way. But even in Canada, when I make that money, I have to find ways to like strategically hide that money from from the government because the minute I make a dollar that goes away so I, I have to play this game where it's like oh no I didn't work this month I only worked a little bit and here's like the little bit that I can show you please don't look at the rest like it's really it's really hard um right and it's like it's I think these are the same political people too that are you know also trying to claim that disabled people are lazy and they don't want to work and it's like no actually I do want to work you just make it extremely hard to do so while also maintaining a stable um medical situation because um you know if you lose the medical coverage or the benefits that you need like um okay, Mr. Politician, are you going to buy me 500 catheters a month? No. Yeah. Yeah, no. Do you you even know how to do a catheter? Do you know what that is, Politician Man? Uh, If if they do, they probably just squirm uncomfortably and go go back to their lives i think a lot of them probably haven't even lent much thought to the fact that people in wheelchairs also pee much like they do (laughs) you have given me so many possible titles for this episode i don't know where i don't even know i'm gonna have to like listen back and figure out which one is the best because they're all so good but i want to well i can that's completely up to you you can choose so Oh, there, there have been like two or three already that I'm like, well, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. I want to use that one. Um, 
so we shall see. But I want to go to one, one of the things you said in the questionnaire that made me really excited to want to have you on because it's something I experienced too was having shame around having to use catheters and having to need that kind of help. Can you share? Can you talk a little bit more about that experience? Sure. So, um, all all my life, I've had to like everything that's vaguely related to the bathroom has had to be done with somebody else's help for me since the beginning of time. So, you me know, too. a yep. lot of hey. a lot of lifting lifting on and off of toilets and having you know a whole cast of characters um, <laughs> in your pants, but not but not in a fun, sexy way, in a clinical way. Um, See, there's another one. There's another possible tagline for the show. Like that I know. a lot, uh, like when I step back some days and think about like how many people have seen me naked, but not in a fun way, I'm like, my God. Um, so <laughs> um, it was getting increasingly difficult for me to get... Um, uh, on and off the toilet it's just a lot of lifting and you know zero independence it was pretty much to the point where I had to be tethered to someone everywhere I went because it was like you know if there was a vague possibility that I might have to go to the bathroom at whatever event it's like I was stranded if I didn't have someone with me that knew how to move me so yeah. um, I also developed some very painful spinal problems that resulted in a lot of um nerve pain so basically every time I get on and off the toilet it more or less triggers the nerve pain um so I actually made the choice to go the catheter route in the sense that I felt it could give me um a bit more independence I have um I have a, a urinary diversion, so it's um it's like a channel that goes through um my my stomach and connects. It's like a tunnel made out of appendix that connects to my bladder, and you stick the intermittent catheter through there. So you're catheting from the top, basically. Um, oh, cool. And and I have um, I use a closed system catheter, so it's an intermittent catheter with a little bag attached to it, and that makes me able to do it myself because there's no like, you know, there's no aiming at a urinal or a toilet. It just catches the pee for you, and then you can just throw away the bag and you're good. Um, also, I'm not able to tolerate like a, a regular urethral intermittent catheter because my pelvic floor is so so tight that it would just be like it would be a horrendous battle of the muscle tone to use the other type of catheter oh and yeah the, the catheter from the top is also a lot less infection prone I have issues with UTIs so anyway I I elected to go the urinary diversion route. Another reason I did so is because I was, um, you know, con concerned about possibly experiencing retention in the future. And if I did eventually go into urine retention, as many people with CP do, I knew I wouldn't be able to tolerate a traditional catheter. 
so it was kind of a preemptive strike um the type of channel i have is called um the mitrofinoff and um i have basically a little red dot about the size of a pencil eraser next to my belly button and that's where the catheter goes so it's i've had it for almost three years it's uh Still learning the tricks of the trade, definitely, but it's been a good thing for me. And it, a lot of people think like, oh, no, um, you know, catheter yikes, why would you do that to yourself? But my answer is fairly simple in that I got the opportunity to pee on my own for the first time in my entire life. And I don't think a lot of non-disabled folks who have always taken care of themselves understand what it feels like to be able to pee on your own for the first time at age 25. Um, and like, it was so um, thrilling to be able to go into a bathroom and come back out and be like, wow, I just did that myself. And I've had plenty of blooper reels, plenty of them. And uh, if not for the closed system with the little bag attached, I would have pee all over myself and everyone's bathroom from poor, <laughs> poor aim at the little urinal jar. So I'm very, very thankful to the creator of the closed system catheter. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Coloplast. I am ready to be your advertisement <laughs> girl. Uh, not ad, not sponsored, but somebody, but seriously, Coloplast, I use you too. So if you're listening to this, let me yeah, know. If you're, if you're looking for a, a, a spokes crip, I'm here and I'm willing <laughs> because I tried the open-ended catheters and it was kind of a disaster because I would just wind up getting pee all over myself that said i have had some really interesting um fails with my uh closed system most recently i was like really feeling myself i had gone in and out of a doctor's appointment totally on my own i was like feeling cool like yes yes i'm so independent today i got this and I was like all ready to tell my mom when she picked me up that everything went great and I did everything myself. Well, I decided to go to the bathroom in the doctor's office before I leave because I was like, I don't want to get stuck in traffic and wind up peeing my pants on the way home because I can still pee the quote, quote, regular way. Um, my, my channel is really just a trap door to have an extra option for now. So, you know, if I, if I get stuck in traffic and I have to pee and can't hold it anymore, it will still, it will still come out the natural way. So I was like, I am going to plan ahead like a real adult and go to the bathroom before <laughs> I leave. Well, I got my first ever in almost three years defective catheter and the... Oh, no! Un unbeknownst to me the bag had a hole in it so all of a sudden uh, I, I was like why do I feel warm and not in a good way and then I realized <laughs> that I had es essentially cath 
the pee out of myself and all over my outfit. And I was like, cute, cute. So I decided to stack all my paperwork from the doctor and folders on top of myself (laughs) to to cover the damage. Then then I wound up getting pee all over my um, uh, post-doctor instructions and forms and had to reprint all of them. But needless to say, my bravado was a little bit uh, drained out of me, no pun intended. When, and I was seriously like, what the fuck? What are the chances of getting a defective one of these things? Like the right? one time I'm pretty much all by myself. So um, it's been a good thing for me independence wise, but it's not all sunshine and rainbows um i had a similar situation where um i couldn't fit in the bathroom stall so i decided to just cast myself by the sink in a doctor's office bathroom and um i accidentally exploded the pee bag all over (laughs) the sink counter and I did the best I could to clean up the damage but you know not easy when you can't really use your hands and I go in the car I told my mom what happened and she goes well you know what it's kind of their fault for not having an accessible stall and yeah I I was like you know you're right so they can deal they can deal with it because it wouldn't have happened if I could have fit into the bathroom stall in the first place. Exactly. So anyway, um, most of the time I am uh, happy to have my catheter, but there are definitely challenging moments, uh, especially because a lot of medical professionals are not familiar with urinary diversion channels and you try to explain to them um, you know what it is and they're like what what i've never seen this before and it's like well yeah there's a first for everything um and they've had my struggles with with urinary tract infections and especially when i first had the surgery there was a lot of you know post-surgical utis and sort of learning the tricks of how to ward them off and um so a lot of cranberries uh yes but unfortunately the type of cranberry juice that is helpful is not the kind that tastes good it's like uh, it's the, the kind the with really like bitter one right no sugar no nothing so yeah i had to do the whole um you know prophylactic antibiotic installation and you know I internalized a lot of shame around these infections too in the sense that it wasn't really anything I was doing to keep getting them but I kept you know backtracking in my head and trying to blame myself for these recurrent infections like you know maybe if I had just drank more water or just taken this supplement or just did this or just you know, set my timer for a little sooner, things would be different. And, you know, the, um, I you know, kept getting pretty sick pretty fast with these recurring infections. And I felt guilty about being sick all the time, even though it's not really anything I did. Um, 
I think right. that's a very classic disabled person thing to try to, you know, accept blame or responsibility for something that's out of your hands. Yeah. Um, but because I actually had last year in March, I had the coronavirus and I was very lucky. It was a fairly Oh, wow. Mild. Well, I'm a- really glad you're here. Fairly no. mild case other than feeling kind of crappy and not being able to taste and smell for about four or five weeks. But my loop of really bad UTIs actually cropped up after I had the coronavirus. So we can never know for sure. But um, my urologist thinks that maybe my immune system was weakened for a while as with respect to warding off infections, and that was probably um, contributing, because I have a theory that COVID kind of gets you at your weak point, and for me, that's uh, one of my weak points is definitely the urinary tract. So knock on wood, I've been doing um, much better, but it was a, a rough six months or so where it would be like, you know, that backroom kicks in, you're feeling like a million bucks. And then like two weeks later, it's like, oh, oh, God, here we go again. And you start, you know, getting getting obsessed with the color of your pee and what you right. Yeah, me too. All the time. All the time. You last drank, literally holding up the bag like, mom, does that look like a good color to you? And then we is just it cloudy? Start... Do you think it's cloudy? Does it look like yes. it's gonna? Um, yeah. Is it We just start laughing. Like, what? What has our lives come to that we're like sitting here assessing the color of your pee? But you know, crip life. And <laughs> I mean, hashtag um, crip life for sure. And, pee life. Um, one thing, but one thing about uh catheter life that is a lot of fun is because my uh, catheter is a closed system I can literally pee wherever I want so um, you know so jealous so jealous if we're stuck in traffic and everybody else is looking for a rest stop I'm like oh you poor thing Uh, I am just fine and it's 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 an interesting role reversal in a way because before I had my catheter, you know, if nobody was around to help me, I would just have to, you know, hold it and hope for the best. So it's it's interesting when you're something like stuck in traffic or in a place with no bathroom, being the one to be like, I'm good. Well, everybody else is searching for a bathroom. So <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so now my. My party trick is to tell people that I can pee uh, essentially out of my belly button and they uh, will usually go like, wait, what? How is that a thing? And um, some people are, catheters have a bad rap around them. I think they're very stigmatized, but I found in my general experience, if you just decide to like, own it and tell people that you use them people's reactions are not as bad as you might think and the few people who I've shown how it works they're just like oh that's actually really cool yeah Um, right 
And that's not to say that every random stranger is entitled to your P information, but generally speaking, I find that when I open up to people, they are more um, understanding and even interested than you might assume. Um, kind of back to what we were saying before about non-disabled slash able-bodied people and you know ignorance or whatever. I read an interesting passage on this subject recently uh, by an author called Laura Parker and she was saying that people who are not disabled and not chronically ill um, you know some sometimes it's pure straight ignorance and not wanting to do the right thing but a lot of times it's people not knowing what to say or what to do and the fact is that non-disabled people are maybe not uh, always going to be able to be there for you in the exact way that you want but this author says and I think it's very eloquent it it doesn't matter per se that the person can't always be there for you in exactly the way that you want what matters is that they want to be and I I love that I love that so much I think that was like kind of a that was kind of a, a jolt to reality for me in that like Yes, it's frustrating when non-disabled people don't know how to interact with us. And no, it's not our responsibility to constantly be the teacher. But I think that there are many more people who we realize that than we realize who want to do the right thing. Maybe they're just not sure how and like, yeah, they're going to mess up sometimes. But I guess the important part is that when they mess up, they want to be better, which is totally different than a person who messes up and has no interest in being better. Exactly. And I think the more and more we talk to our non-disabled peers and our friends, we discover they do want to do better. They do want to do the right thing and they do want to help. And they do want to be a part of your life. They just, they're ignorant in the fact that they don't, they haven't never been seen that before and never been taught it before. Never like, and I experience this a lot when I, if I go to sleep with a new person or if I go to like hook up with a guy or if I go to like go to a club and I want to take a guy home and you'll see them be like, oh, uh, I don't know how to do this, but I want to like try. And so you kind of have to hold their hand and walk them through how to have that experience with you and sometimes that experience involves helping you pee and so like right yeah. some some people unfortunately are you know mean-spirited and don't want to do the right thing but I think a much larger number of people do want to do the right thing and I think um when we look at people being ableist or saying the wrong thing you know, we have to assess there's a huge difference between someone who has messed up and doubles down on their problematic behavior and doesn't want to be better versus a person that is like, oh, I screwed up big, but I really do 
want to learn how to be there for you. A hundred, hundred thousand percent. I want to move on to something you said in your questionnaire that I'm really curious to have you talk about. You mentioned kind of having, you know, dealing with bullying within the disability community and kind of dealing with like the disability community being less than kind. I'd love for you to chat about that. Um, I think we've alluded to this a bit in our earlier conversation. Unfortunately, there's a bit of a unspoken but understood hierarchy. Um, and there's this expectation that, you know, certain presentations of disability or certain ways of independence looking are treated as better or superior and um, it results in a lot of sort of horizontal um, nastiness towards each other when we should be the ones that are building each other up. Um, I think I mentioned in my forum, I went to school at the University of Illinois and I lived um, in what is a pretty internationally unique um, program for people with disabilities that we were part of a so-called typical dorm but the first floor was all for people with disabilities needing support with activities of daily living and then there Amazing. were lots of there were lots of other people with disabilities on campus in other settings there's just a very large disability population in general and that's something I really wanted when I went away to school because I had always grown up being the only one with a visible disability in my school and I wanted a different experience. So I loved college and that's one of the things that I loved about college is being around, you know, so many other people in chairs and being in a community where people really didn't flinch if they saw a big wheel pack coming down the street. Uh, that said, um, I found that the wheelchair athletes kind of really looked down upon the others with disabilities, particularly those that needed, um, you know, personal care assistance to the point where I feel like they didn't even really look at us. Um, and it's so interesting to me that you know, people who are also part of the same marginalized group wouldn't be more, you know, welcoming, connected with one another. And that's not something I really anticipated when I got to school. Like when I first got to school, I just kind of thought like, okay, just because they're a wheelchair athlete, they'll probably still like, you know, talk to me or whatever. And then it's like I was sort of quickly taught the unspoken rules that like, oh, their world runs totally parallel to ours. Um, and um, even within the dorm for people needing ADL support, there was, you know, some, some clicks based on diagnosis. And I found in general that the folks with CP were kind of you know, looked down upon as the bottom of the uh, social hierarchy. Um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about why that is. Um, I think that, you know, 
some of it may be that we don't that we're in chairs and we also have very unconventional looking bodies whereas some other diagnoses can you know look more typical uh while being in a wheelchair I think you know a lot of us have you know speech speech issues or things like incontinence or drooling that get stigmatized in the community and I, I think that's um you know why we get looked down upon sometimes I you know I would hear you know chatterings around the dorm people saying like oh, you know, watch out for the quad CTs. They're the worst drivers. You don't want to drive next to them. Ugh. And it's like, um, or there was this, you know, stereotype that the people with CP were like, you know, naive in a way that the other disabled people weren't. And I just, something that really frustrated me and still does like, why do we have to do that to each other especially because presumably these are all people that have known what it's like to be left out and isolated at some point in their lives so why do you just have to reshape that and repeat it onto other people um it's something that um i i worked in social justice education at the university for my field placement in social work and I actually did a whole lesson on the disability hierarchy for our um, social justice ed department because I really think that it's something that needs to be spoken about a lot of people with disabilities get up in arms when you bring up the hierarchy because they're like like oh that's not a thing or that's not something you should talk about um I'm not saying that the hierarchy is true or correct or moral, but it is real. Um, And I think the less we talk about it, the less we can try to fix it. Um, There's actual literal academic research on the subject that I used for my lesson plan. Um, There was a couple of academic studies back in the 70s where they interviewed people about, you know, what diagnoses were seen as most desirable and like would you be friends with this person would you date this person would you sleep with this person and the research lined up exactly with my personal experience people with cp were towards the bottom and they repeated the same study like some 30 years later and the results were nearly exactly the same so it's um it's a tough thing to speak about and it's an unfortunate feature of our community, but it's real. And I think that the longer we put off talking about it, the longer it's going to stay around um, and haunt us. I'm not saying that the hierarchy is, is moral or beneficial or desirable, but it is absolutely there. And, yeah. um, and and I think all disabled people, whether we know, whether we have a name for it, whether we understand the hierarchy, when we're, when, because there are, there are, I'll give you an example. There are really, there are two really adorably muscular wheelchair athletes that live like two doors down from me. And we're not, we're very nice to each other. We give each other like the disability nod. But I know that, that if like, 
we were hanging out, they would, I would be in a whole different class and they want to, I can just tell from chatting with them briefly, they're like, okay, you're in this group and I'm over here. I, I also see it in the sense that the folks with disabilities that I see more easily getting jobs, more easily getting featured in the media, it's, I find that it's always kind of like con- conventional, more conventional looking bodies that land those opportunities like kind of like the same things that are sort of top of the hierarchy in the able-bodied world are just transferred into the disabled world like um in the magazines in the movies in you know the better paying jobs you generally see like the wheelchair athlete type and it's really unusual to see a power wheelchair user much less a power wheelchair user that openly acknowledges that they need help peeing or something like that um or you know a person with like you know visibly spastic hands or something like that you don't see that very often so it's like yes we're making strides in including people with disabilities in making disability visible but I still think we're falling into the trap of making a certain kind of disability visible and uh you're saying so many things right now that connect to my heart I'm just my god I I I think CP in many ways um you know, my mom and I joke about this, but it's not really a joke, is like the ugly stepsister of the physical disability world. Um, even though it's incredibly, incredibly common. And like, uh, I don't think that we as a CP community should have to accept that kind of treatment from the larger disability community. Because um, it's like, Yes, we have twisty hands, we drool sometimes, we pee a little bit when we laugh. Like, who cares? <laughs> We're still like a, a valid person. Um, and I don't think that people who have experienced marginalization from the larger world should be regurgitating that onto other people in chairs. I mean, unfortunately, I still know many people in chairs that don't even want to be friends with other disabled people because they have this idea that like you know being friends with non-disabled people makes them superior somehow and I don't think that that's um healthy I don't think it's healthy or fair I'm not saying every disabled person is going to like each other but it's not fair to just across the board decide you don't want to be friends with other disabled people. Just like it's not fair to across the board decide you don't want to be friends with any able-bodied people. Um, it doesn't. Um, I, I've seen that in the disability community too. I've seen I that. Yeah. You know, know some disabled folks that I don't like on a personal level, but that you know, just because you don't like every single disabled person doesn't mean you're going to do like, you know, I don't, 
do friends in wheelchairs. Like there are still people like that. And there's people whose parents and families encourage that sort of horizontal oppression because it's like, I think they think like, you know, wow, my kids have overcome, my kid has succeeded if they have all able-bodied friends. And that's not a healthy way of, that's not a healthy way of thinking. To me, it doesn't, it's not important to me if my friends are disabled or not. It matters if I like them as people, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I am sitting here, just my heart is swelled because you have said all the things that... (laughs) You've said so much of what I felt for such a long time. Also, I love this interview because I didn't have to say much. You just talked, you talked to me. And I, I, the whole interview, you, the audience couldn't see you, but I was going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I think, uh, 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 I think uh, may, may, maybe you're my uh, new Canadian friend that I just hadn't met yet. <laughs> I mean, I think so. And actually, you'll be you'll be happy to know that I'm also I'm I'm a Canadian slash American. I was born in I was born in California, so. Oh wow! Okay, I went to California about six months ago because I had spine surgery in California. That's that's another story. But um, I had some. I saw the pictures of I saw your, the pictures on your Instagram, right? Of you like coming yes. out of. Yes, I yeah. had. Uh, I had some mystery nerve pain for about two years. Like I, I felt like my legs were um, sunburned all the time. I was getting very severe nerve pain, not standing well, just not functioning well. And I kept getting gaslit by a bunch of doctors. And because they were all big wigs in the business, like, you know, it's kind of unspoken that you don't challenge them. And they kept blowing me off saying like you're just tight you're just tight just get some more Botox but I would try to politely explain to them that you know feeling like you have an invisible sunburn is not your standard CP feature so I just had this funny feeling that it wasn't CP related so I essentially bullied them into giving me an MRI turns out I had this weird ass cyst on my sacral spine and it was right on the nerve root that was innervating that part of my leg and yeah I never would have found it if I hadn't um dug my heels in and they're so unusual that a lot of doctors still believe that they can't be symptomatic um but mine very clearly was because when we blocked the nerve I felt better um, I, it also made sense uh, with respect to I experienced some of the worst constipation of my entire life and a lot of doctors just blew that off to like oh of course you're constipated you're in a wheelchair and I was like no 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 I literally can't poop like in like in a neurological way I feel like somebody shut the switchboard off and they were just like oh, you're fine. Just, you know, eat some more fiber. You don't walk. It's so fiber. <laughs> you don't walk. So, of course, you um, are having trouble pooping. And I was like, no, I am literally eating vegetables like it's my job. And I'm on all this medicine and nothing is changing. Like, it, 
Like, it really feels like something is wrong. So, lo and behold, I find these cysts. There's only two surgeons in the whole country that operate on Tarlov cysts. I was wow. Very I was very fortunate and privileged that I was able to go to one of them and get it fixed. It was a very complicated case because I also have CP. So my recovery has looked super different from everybody else's. But I'm so grateful that I um, went with my gut on that um, because... No pun intended. Yes, I knew something was very wrong with me. And I still struggle with some level of chronic nerve pain because, you know, neurosurgery is not a perfect science and, you know, these surgeries are not a magic bullet, but, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm adjusting to the fact that I will probably always live with a new level of chronic pain, but I'm so grateful that it's a thousand times better than it was. And my gait has improved a real lot. I was experiencing what we now know to be some neurogenic weakness. Like my leg was um, collapsing because the nerve was being pressed on. That also got brushed off like, oh, you're just getting weaker because you're getting older with CP. And I was like, nope, nope, this feels different. And then Lo and behold, as soon as I got my back operated on, it feels like my legs lost five pounds and I'm walking much better again. So that's so um, great. I'm so happy that you you took them so, to task and, and advocated for yourself because you know when something's true, wrong. It was a true um, you know, bag of tricks kind of thing, in that I was like what the fuck I already have CP and now you're telling me that I have this ultra rare neural cyst that no one has ever heard of and that they're not (laughs) related to each other and the guy was like yep yep total luck of the draw and I was like okay challenge accepted so and also uh tarlov cysts the type of spine cyst I have They're very, very correlated with chronic pelvic pain, which I have suffered with since I was 12 years old. And we wonder now, was the spinal cyst there all along? And nobody ever thought to look at my back. Um, So it's been a very interesting fitting together of puzzle pieces. But all in all, I'm doing uh, really well. Uh, So that was my experience with California. I sure hope that I can go back there for fun sometime. What part of California uh, was it in? Were you in LA? Sacramento. So, um, Boo, you would have been in the cool parts. Exactly, exactly. And there, um, I mean, I didn't feel great, so there wasn't much opportunity to enjoy, but also we were in the middle of a pandemic and a lot of people would be like, are you crazy? You went to California in the middle of a pandemic. But the thing is, I didn't really have a choice because the longer you let these cysts grow unchecked, the worse they get. And the longer yeah. you wait, the lower your chances of your nerve recovering. So I did what I think anyone would do given the opportunity. I was offered the surgery date and I just pulled the trigger. So 
it was really weird traveling cross country in the middle of a pandemic. It was really weird taking a trip to have surgery. You know, the lady, the airport was like, where are you going, honey? You off on vacation? And I was like, <laughs> you, you first, of all, first of all, Stacy, who goes on vacation in the middle of a pandemic? <laughs> and second of all, I'm going to all, have... Stacey. I'm going to have a spine surgery that I'm like out of my mind nervous about. And mm-hmm. it was just kind of like, oh, dot, dot, dot. And I'm sitting there in my face shield in my N95 mask. Like, does this look like a vacation to you? <laughs> what did you say? Did you, what did she say when you like, uh, did you- I asked. I said like well actually I'm going to have surgery and she was just kind of like oh Uh dot dot Uh dot and on the way back when they do the security check like do you have any sensitive areas on your body I was like literally the whole thing yeah (laughs) yeah so um yeah that was that that was my little pandemic adventure other than that i've basically been holed up in my house petting my dog but um i was lucky to be able to be vaccinated recently and i would encourage everybody else to do the same and go get your fucking shot um as and i i think if i remember your post correctly we're both in the moderna gang Uh, yeah moderna um i, I actually my... get mine and i get my second one in five days i'm so excited i'm excited for you you're probably gonna feel a little bit gross for the day afterwards but it's totally worth it because it's really nice to be able to you know cautiously re-enter the world a little bit yeah. and i'm so thankful to all those scientists that i know have been working around the clock to develop this and I imagine when people refuse after all that work, it must feel like you just, you know, completed a a massively successful group project. And then, you know, the other people don't hand their piece in and you get... You finish the product and then Stacy was like, I'm not going to do my piece. It's fun. Right. Like... You write this A plus 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 piece of the project in a really fast amount of time, and then your group project partner decides not to do their part, and you wind up with a, a C minus on your masterpiece. I imagine that's what it feels like. <laughs> so um, I got my second Moderna vaccine on Valentine's Day. So I like to tell people I went on a hot second date with Moderna. <laughs> I, I understand he's been seeing a lot of other people, but I still think Listen, we he's, had. He's. I still he's think we had something he's, special. Yeah, he's, he's polyamorous. He's got a lot of people, but he cares about you too. Right. I I really think we have a connection, even though he's been seeing a lot yeah. of others. Um, and yeah, ten out of ten would recommend getting vaccinated especially because um you know people have worked so hard to get us an answer to this whole fiasco in a record time so 
anyone who listens to this who's on the fence, go do it. Please, please go do yeah. it. It's it's just a tiny little pinch, and you might feel under the weather for a day or two, but that's so much better than the alternative. Then being on a vent, yeah, or dying. Yeah. <laughs> Come right, on. Then, You've all heard the you- one. You've all heard. You've all heard the quarantine and chill and the pausing the pandemic. You've heard people on this show for years, for the last two years, be like, I don't want to die. Let's do something about it. So now's your chance to do something about it. Get your shot. Right. And I feel like it's always one of those things on people's, you know, bucket list. Like, how cool would it be to be able to save a life? Well, you can. And it's fairly easy to do. Um <laughs> Also, my sister, my twin sister is a nurse and she worked on the COVID unit for the majority of the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, having someone in your immediate family who's, you know, been bagging bodies day after day throughout this pandemic, it really drives home for you how serious it is and how easy it is for even young, healthy, strong people get very very sick so um and we've seen cases in the last year and a half where like we had a girl in just north of just east of toronto who was 13 and died of covid last week we had you know we've heard of people in the states who are like 9 and 10 who died of covid so it's really real folks and i would agree with with kathleen that we just get your shot do the thing help us out yeah, it's um, it, and from what I know from my sister working in the hospital, it's COVID is a truly, truly horrendous way to spend the end of your life. So I, for people who are on the fence, like, well, I can't miss a couple days of work. You don't want to miss the rest of your life by. You don't want to miss the rest of your life by exposing yourself to a preventable disease. Um, it's yeah. Take your. I shot, want friends. you to be here. I think you. I want you to be here. I think you know people have plans for the rest of their lives that they want to get to. So, so please do the right thing and. Um, I promise you're not going to turn into a zombie. And (laughs) even if you do, we'll all be zombies together. Together, yeah. Um, uh, Tell me really briefly about your relationship with your twin sister, who's not disabled. Tell me a bit about that. Sure. Um, So we're identical twins. She looks a whole lot like me, um, except she can walk. Sometimes it's jarring for people who don't know that I have a twin. Like one time she was walking my dog for me and this guy who lived around the block didn't realize I had a non-disabled twin and he saw her and he got so startled because he thought that like, I was you could, walking. You could miraculously walk. And I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, no, 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 that's my twin. And uh, it's, I'd say with age, we're getting more and more alike looking. Um, it's it's cool having a twin, you know. It's nice to have somebody who's right your age, who's 
you know, sort of at the same phase of life as you. Um, but it can also be difficult in the sense that, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are easier for her to do than is for me. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot easier for her to live independently. It's, and, you know, sometimes it can feel having an able-bodied twin like someone is, you know, moving into a different stage of life without you or that, you know, you're looking in the mirror and maybe seeing the reflection of what your life would have been like if you weren't disabled. And it's, there's, there's no point in dwelling on that because like, there is no me without my disability. I don't exist without my disability. However, I think you know, anyone who says that they don't occasionally speculate about what their able-bodied life would have been like is probably lying. Um, oh, I do it all the time. You you see my you see my Instagram. It's not what I say on Instagram. It's not something I dwell on a whole lot because I really am happy the way that I am right now. But I think you know everybody has moments of sadness or speculation about what could have been. And just because you're thinking about what could have been does not mean you don't appreciate what is. Um, it's just yeah. like, um, you know, when you see someone who's right your age and, you know, looks exactly like you and grew up in the same house, you know, moving, moving into their own apartment and, you know, getting getting a full-time job and sort of doing the stereotypical things that people your age are expected to do um that can be hard just like I'm sure it's hard for her sometimes to have a sibling who is disabled so I think you know there's things that are hard for both of us and I also think there are things that we both gain through the experience of disability and I try very hard um you know even on the days when it is difficult like you know when the days when she's able to take an international trip with her boyfriend with no help and I would never be able to do that because you know I need help with almost everything I do and I I can hardly imagine you know leaving the state without my mom those are days when it's difficult to not feel a little bit jealous. However, I think it's really, really important to practice still being happy for uh, your non-disabled loved ones doing things that make them happy. And I still, you know, want to find joy in their joy and I want them to do things that make them happy even if I can't do those things but that doesn't mean it's not hard um you but by the same token you can't just isolate yourself and shut yourself away from all from all the able-bodied people around you and you just you can't curl up and ignore the fact that people are doing things that you 
can't do or can do so easily. So it's, you know, one, it's one of my biggest struggles, but I think my, one of my most important struggles to um, learn how to still have joy for the non-disabled people in my life, even if they are doing something that I really wish I could do. And also it's important to practice finding joy in the uniquely disabled experiences that I wouldn't have if I were able-bodied. So you can kind of balance out those feelings of sadness or wistfulness for what could have been with, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky that I get to have this instead because I am disabled. And to, you know, true, truly believe that you can be a little bit sad and feel very lucky at the same time. You said so many things there that I was, again, I have spent this whole interview just shaking my head up and down, back and forth being like, uh-huh, yep, yep. I like, uh-huh, I agree with this. I agree with that. So I'm really, I was so excited to have you and I could sit with you for another like five hours and talk about things. I really could. Um, but as I'm sure the audience doesn't want to sit with us for five hours while we talk about life, how, how can the people who are listening, how can they support you? How can they follow your work? How can they do all the things Kathleen Downs? So um, anyone who's listening that uh, wants to follow more of my work or get to know more about me, uh, they can feel free to follow me on Instagram. It's... Um, at squeaky wheelchair i my page is on private but i will generally i will generally accept anyone who wants to follow me so long as there aren't any you know massive red flags like hello i want to steal your social security number uh so you can uh feel free to follow me on instagram so long as you don't have any dastardly ulterior motives um you can also, um, feel free to check out my blog. It's called uh, The Squeaky Wheelchair, and you can go to www.thesqueakywheelchair.blogspot.com. Uh, like I said, um, I, I don't mean to disappoint in that I'm not one of those people who can produce a masterpiece every week, but... I write when the spirit moves me and I hope that you'll check out some of my past work and my future work. Um, I've also written a few articles for the Huffington Post. So if you Google me, those will pop up. Um, and I, I've uh, written a piece about disability in my relationship with touch for the Women's Media Center. If you Google my name, that will also come up. Uh, that piece is feeling more relevant than ever in these pandemic times. Um, and I am also on Facebook just under Kathleen Downs. Like I said, my profile is private, but I'm, most people I will add if they you know, tell me who they are and that they're interested in my work. 
if they, lastly, if they don't profess their love for you within the first five seconds of knowing you. And lastly, um, I'm not a huge Twitter person, but I do have a Twitter mostly for looking at animal pictures and yelling at politicians. And my ha- <laughs> my handle is at power to the policy. And Amazing. You can, Amazing. You can follow me there. I am a very occasional tweeter and you can mostly find me yelling at the governor of New York about his Medicaid cuts but I am on Twitter and I would be happy to have any and all of you follow along with me Kathleen Downs like I said I could sit with you for five more hours because you just are saying all the things I feel in my heart for a long time Um, it was just so fun to sit down with you and seriously you should start a blog or like a podcast or like something you should you if you have this the energy you should definitely i just want to hear all the things you have to say so i love what you do i love that you were here on disability after dark and thank you so much thank thank you it's nice to be able to finally meet you and speak with you in person well sort of in person and uh, i hope one day when this when we all survive baby's first plague, um, you, we'll be a, we'll be able to see each other for uh, really you'll have to come to New York and uh, I would love to. We should go to like a check, we should go to like a show or something, a, a Broadway show or something. Check out um, my very inaccessible but also very charming city. The few times I've been to New York, it, I I either stay, I stayed in New Jersey one time and then one time the company that asked me to come to a thing had me stay at this really fancy hotel downtown. I've never felt more fancy in my whole life. I had a suite. I've never had a suite at a hotel ever. I had my own like sitting room. It was very cool. So next time I'm there, hopefully I would uh, love to connect with you because you're awesome. Yes, and I think you would, I think you would, love uh broadway different theaters have different levels of accessible seating but i can definitely tell you which ones are better and um i am hopeful that the city will come back to life again soon and that um you know they'll be back to being big crowds of people i uh Whenever I'm in a crowd, I'm trapped at the height of most people's asses. But now that the city is virtually empty, I'm like, oh, those were the days. So hopefully... Listen, some people have great asses and it's not always bad to be trapped there. Believe me, believe me. So hopefully the masses will be farting in my face again soon when the city (laughs) comes back to life. Uh, Kathleen Downs, I'm going to end this interview here, but that was so, it was so great to have you. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. Anytime. You're the best. And I, I, and don't hang up yet because I want to talk to you after I press off. So thanks for coming on Disability After Dark, Kathleen Downs, and we'll talk very soon. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Well, that's another beautiful episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. Thank you so much for sticking around and for listening and being there for every episode of the show. 
If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com and you can book me for talks and see more of what I'm doing. You can also follow me on my Instagram and Twitter at andrewgerza underscore. That's where I do a lot of my disability justice and social justice stuff around disability. Have a lot of great conversations around disability and try to make disability accessible to everyone there. So follow me there. If you want to follow the podcast, you can download it on any podcast player, as well as you can go to the, our Twitter, our Disability After Dark Twitter, Disaft Dark Pod on Twitter. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to support the show, again, you can go to patreon.com slash disability after dark to pledge as little as one dollar a month or five dollars a month also please wherever you listen to your podcasts leave us a five-star review it really helps getting getting the show noticed also if you want to be on the show pop me an email at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com let me know your suggestions for show ideas things you want to hear on the show stories about disability that you want a light shot on Thank you so much for listening. I'm, of course, your delectable host, Andrew Gerza. Let's stay comfy, cozy, and crippled, and we'll be back soon. Thanks, friends. Bye. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021